Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I have good news for you if you are one of the victims of for-profit schools that conned you and then shut down. Also, as the world's opening up to live concerts and sporting events, you may find yourself paying huge fees. I have some good news about competition on the horizon. So, we have had a real marketplace incentive problem in the United States. There are a lot of for-profit schools that recruit quite heavily on bad daytime TV and, you know, bus shelters and things like that. And these schools work very aggressively to sign up students in what are known as student loan mills. That the purpose of signing these people up is just so they will borrow money under the federal student loan program or with private lenders so that they get this money for the school, whether or not the students, usually people 18 to 24, are not going to get an education maybe or not going to get a job from it. And there's been one school after another that have done bust outs or gone bust just straight broke that have left a trail of tears for so many Americans who were just trying to improve themselves and get a new skill to be able to qualify for a better paying job or career. And they got swindled. Well, there's a federal law to deal with that. And the federal law was being ignored by the former education secretary, Betsy DeVos. If you're a longtime listener to me, you've heard me talk about her, uh, not in a nice way. And now the law is being followed. And so if you were a student at a school where uh, you feel or it's been in the news that they were uh, defrauding students and you're stuck with federal student loans as a result, you can now petition again for forgiveness. Some of the schools are, uh, that were just verified as complete frauds you're in a position where you will actually just have your loans pretty much automatically discharged. But I know a lot of people went away discouraged before, and I want to tell you now that the relief the law requires is now being granted depending on the circumstance or the documentation. Having said all that, I despise the way we do education in the United States with the ridiculous amount of unlimited borrowing that can take place. There was a story recently about how so many grandparents and parents are broken financially 
from out of love or guilt or sense of obligation or a combination of all three under the plus federal loan program, borrowing massive amounts of money that they are not capable of and don't have the resources to pay back, impoverishing many older Americans. And colleges under our current system face no market pressures to run traditional colleges or any other kind, face no market pressures to run efficient organizations. College tuitions for year after year after year as the loan spigot has been opened so wide, their costs go up way beyond the general rate of inflation in the U.S. economy. Even when you account for how labor-intensive a college is, it's inexcusable how inefficiently they're run because there's no market force or pressure. And so I know this sounds terrible, but if it were up to me, we would make it very difficult to borrow for college and have the aid be based on need, not as loans, but on need, and not just be for people who are among the very poor, but it would the idea is you eliminate the lack of focus in the market on efficiency and affordability because the colleges just shift whatever the costs are, it's cost plus, they shift it to the kids, their parents, and other relatives, and that is not okay. Krista, it's time for questions. By the way, if you are a college administrator and you vehemently object to what I have just said, please go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and post where you feel I'm giving a slanted viewpoint or only part of the story. This is from Susan in Connecticut. When checking my credit report, I found a credit account had been opened recently in my name. I disputed the account with all three credit bureaus and all three verified that the account belongs to me. This type of account is to build credit, purchasing only from a specific catalog. I have excellent credit and no need to open such an account. So far, there have been no purchases on it. I want it closed and off my reports. What are my next steps? So, Susan, there are a couple of things you need to do. Um, Disputing it with the credit bureau is not sufficient, even though you did it with all three. You have to also dispute it with this particular controversial seller. Now, they have obviously extended credit either to somebody who's fraudulently pretending to be you, or they made a clerical error and appended your social security number to an account that was not yours. So that's where you dispute. The second thing, and in the midst of that, you redispute with the three credit bureaus. In addition, file a complaint at consumerfinance.gov, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The credit bureaus treat a consumer complaint completely differently when it comes through the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau than when you attempt the normal process of disputing an item directly with the credit bureaus. And please let me know later, Susan, if any of these buttons you're about to push get the results that you expect. 
And from Stephen, Minnesota, you give good advice about reviewing credit card statements. Out of curiosity, if someone illegally uses my card and I catch it on the bill, which company is out the money, the business where it was used or the credit card company? Steve, I hate to use a lawyer phrase. That depends. So I'll tell you what happens most of the time. If card is present, so I go into a store and I put my card into the chip reader or wave it on the thing or slide it, then the loss is borne by the credit card company. On the other hand, if I order something over the internet and the card is not present or I place a phone order with someone and the card is not present, then the burden is placed on the merchant. And that is true what I just said is the way it works almost always, but there are exceptions from time to time. And from Laurel in California, my mom was just at a big store after not visiting for one and a half years due to COVID. Her store card was denied. When she called to find out what was going on, they said so many people had died that they canceled the card and she had to reapply with a hard credit hit after unfreezing. Okay, that is bizarre. We have not heard anything like that from anyone else. You heard anything like this? Well, I did check, and this retailer usually after six months of non-use sends letters saying they're going to close the card for for not using. Inactivity. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I would suggest, since this is a, a store you like to shop at and you just weren't there because of coronavirus, is that you instead apply for their card that they offer that is a, um, well, I guess I just have to say who this is. Yeah, that's fine. Target has something called the red card that instead of getting the Target credit card, get the Target red card that gives you the same 5% discount, but does pull the money from your checking account. Now, you've always heard me talk about the dangers with the debit card, but if you monitor your statements, you're likely going to be okay in this case with a Target debit card. The Target red card is much less risk than if you were to have a piece of trash Visa or MasterCard, debit card, check card, whatever you want to call it. And that way you won't have the hit on your credit. And from Linda in Georgia, if we choose to use the Quicken Willmaker program to help my 86-year-old mother create her will, will it be legally acceptable without having to go to a lawyer? Yes, it will be as long as you follow the steps and it will take you through the steps to validate the will for each state. And if there's any state that will maker doesn't feel it can properly validate the will, then they will tell you they can't. But with Willmaker, which is the most respected of the computer programs to do your own will, this should only be used if your mom does not have a complicated financial situation or there's not family complications with people who maybe don't like each other, don't talk to each other. I mean, this does happen in families um, where there is tension within a family. A will that you do yourself is more likely to be challenged than one that is thoroughly prepared by a lawyer who's specializes in wills, estates, and trusts. So as a general guideline, if the situation is really simple, there's not a great deal of money, 
family gets along, using Will Maker is A-OK. But if any of those things are not true that I said, please go see a lawyer who specializes in wills, estates, and trusts. And I trust if you've tried to buy tickets to a sporting event or concert as things open back up, you know the ginormo ripoff fees that are charged and just seem to keep growing and growing. I want to talk about that next and being careful as you buy those tickets. Now that step-by-step things keep opening up around the country, uh, some people never really shut down. But as a general rule, a lot of activities didn't happen. Think about uh, in-person attendance at sports events, going to concerts, going to theater, and all the rest. You've got a marketplace that divides out different ways. One, buying tickets direct from a venue or direct from a promoter or whatever it is, or from a team, and you may have some add-on junk fees. You may not, depending on how you buy those. But so many tickets to sports events and to concerts are bought through third-party brokers or ticket outlets. And I think about last year, starting in March of last year, all the way through September, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of complaints from people who had bought tickets to events. The events didn't happen. And even when refunds were available, they were for a tiny fraction of what you'd paid because you'd bought them through a broker. And more often than not, People didn't get anything back. And it seems like everybody and their brother is getting into the ticket selling business. I just shook my head when Sports Illustrated announced that they're going to become a ticket broker. Seems like a quick way to ruin your reputation. But anyway, I want you to know that when there is a music act or a football team or a baseball team, basketball team, whatever it is, you really want to see their game. Know that there's a certain amount of fool's gold involved when you buy from a third party. You could end up being completely scammed that you've attempted to buy from someone who didn't have the tickets at all. Gosh, we've had that question forever. Um, You could buy from a legitimate outlet, but at a huge markup. So... If you do really, really, really got to go to whatever event it is, if there is an official selling platform, particularly with sports teams, there will be an official platform. Buy it through that. Many times those will be outlets for season ticket holders where they are able to put their tickets up for sale in a marketplace Sports team takes a cut that runs it up. But at least then you'll know you have an actual real ticket. The pandemic, hopefully the next one will be 100 years from now, just like the last one was 100 years ago. And we won't have a circumstance with mass cancellations of events and then the huge exposure. But I want you to know 
the only safe way to buy an event ticket is from the event itself. Because I can tell you we've heard every wrinkle, every problem, everything you could think of from people who now that things are opening up will start hearing the complaints again. They bought from who knows who. And the worst, I saw it. I went to a Super Bowl. The result of the Super Bowl was really awful for me. But anyway, the people in front of me who had traveled all the way from Boston to see Boston beat my beloved Atlanta Falcons, they got up there with their tickets, ticket window, and they were counterfeits. And they bought them from a broker. And they were turned away. They were out $7,000 for two tickets that weren't real. I could have sold them mine and not had to watch (laughs) my Falcons give up that game. So I do want to point out that you are the most fair weather sports fan. Oh, totally on the bandwagon. Known. Uh huh. I'm on the bandwagon. You know, a friend of ours always refers to it is there will be a parade and you get to the front to lead it. That you are just (laughs) when a sports team. Well, no, I have teams that I love, but yeah, I'm not usually that into basketball. But this is fun, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) All right. That that was really mean of me. I apologize. This wasn't mean at all. You're it's absolutely true. <laughs> Completely. Okay, so confession about me. I'm an Atlanta native. And any Atlanta team automatically will break your heart. It's just a requirement of being a sports team in Atlanta. And I cannot watch an Atlanta sports team play a game live. I have to record them (laughs) and watch sped up so that if I am going to be killed by water torture, you know, dripping, 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 at least I've sped it up and I don't feel that dagger in my heart as much. Mm. Must be like being a a Cubs fan. Was it Cubs fans that forever (laughs) never had a winning? Or the Browns. Right. right, and the Red Sox, I think, were like that too. Till they all learned how to win. All right. Well, here's some questions for you. Albert in Tennessee says we have eighty nine thousand dollars left to pay on our mortgage and only twelve years left on the term. Our interest rate is six point four percent. Should we refinance to a lower interest rate? Our FICO score is eight hundred two, and we have no other debt. With a FICO score of eight hundred two, only eighty nine thousand dollars owed. You would be a great candidate to go to a credit union, Albert, because credit unions do shorter-term mortgages. So if you did a refi with a credit union into a 10-year loan, even a 7-year loan, your interest rate would drop from 6.4% to somewhere in the twos. And here's the thing. Traditional lenders don't want to do a loan for an amount like $89,000, they're going to fee you to death. Most credit unions hold loans, what's known as in portfolio. They hold them on their own books, which is how they can do creative things like seven-year loans, 10-year loans, that kind of thing. So if you were to refi with a credit union, and not every credit union holds loans in portfolio, but you can look at credit unions local to you, 
see what they're offering on 10-year and 7-year loans, and you're going to see an enormous benefit to your remaining payout on that mortgage. And Billy in Oklahoma says, we are totally debt-free and have been for eight-plus years. We froze our credit years ago and haven't used credit for many years and have no credit cards. Our insurance company started doing a credit check and raised our rates. I had to unfreeze my credit, but this didn't help as we now show zero credit history. What do you suggest we do to get our credit going again? Billy, so the deal, as you've discovered, is that many auto and homeowners insurers set your rates now based on your credit score as a A or the primary factor for setting rates. You live debt-free, you use no credit, the credit freeze you have in place just keeps somebody else from opening credit as if they're you. It had no impact on the problem with the insurance company. So you are someone who, this is crazy bizarre, but you are being punished for the fact that you live a cash-only existence. And the insurance industry and all the states except those that prohibit using credit scores to set premiums, the insurance industry believes that credit score is the number one indicator of how someone will handle their insurance and what they're going to cost the insurer. Not if they've had a DUI, not how they drive, not how many tickets they've had, nothing like that. They believe the credit score is most important. So you, I hate to say it, you have to consider getting a credit card, or you can shop with other insurers who either don't rely on credit score or use it as a minor factor in setting rates instead of a major. If you are going to have to get credit again, you can look at some of the alternatives for getting credit cards when you're showing what's known as thin or no, that you don't show a clear track record with credit they can go by. And we have a briefing on that on Clark.com. One of the choices is Petal.com. It's been around for a while, P-E-T-A-L card.com. And there are others as well that you can read on our briefing to reestablish some credit. And yes, your credit would have to be temporarily thawed to do those applications. And from Anna in Texas, I'm a new listener and love your podcast. I currently have a Roth IRA and I plan to max it out every year. I have a pension through my job as well. I want to contribute 15% of my income in addition to the pension, but I only have access to a 403B and the Roth IRA contribution is only about 8%. I've heard you say that the 403B is the worst type of retirement account. This year they're adding Fidelity as an option and we will have access to invest in mutual funds there. My question is, do I open a 403B with Fidelity or open up a Roth for my husband and reach my 15%? My husband is not interested in investing. I asked about an HSA and they said they're working on offering it in a couple of years. What do I do, Clark? Okay, so the Fidelity thing with the 403B is an interesting trick question. And you're going to have to do some digging to find out. You could have a 403B sponsored by one of the insurance companies And they could have as investment choices in it, Fidelity funds. But that would still be an extremely high cost 403B because of the massive, humongous, gigantic, incredible rip-off fees that the insurance companies charge on these 403Bs. On the other hand, 
It could be a 403B with Fidelity as the sponsor and their funds, and that would have extremely low costs. So that's what you got to find out. Is it an insurance company that's giving you Fidelity choices, or is it actually Fidelity offering the 403B? If it is Fidelity offering the 403B, you're good to go, and you can put money in there. If not, instead of doing the 403B, open a regular investment account. And in it, buy index funds. Speaking of Fidelity, you could go in the Fidelity Zero funds. They have, a, they have several of them available that you pay no fees at all, zero fees, and no commissions. And then you're eligible with that money in there for ultra-low tax someday on it. And you will make more money in that than you would in a mid or high cost 403B any day of the week. I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. Sign up for our free newsletters for more money-saving advice you can trust.